asking the right questions will unlock your best life. They are the keys to enjoying more clarity, passion, balance, and confidence. Hi, I'm Todd Parker. And I'm Bridget Sampson. We're certified executive and life coaches, communication professors, trainers, consultants, and most importantly, parents. We're also dear friends who love diving into those deep conversations about life, relationships, family, and careers. All things about being a curious and compassionate human on this planet. So please join us, and we know you'll find something valuable that resonates with wherever you are on your journey. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome, welcome. It is Todd Parker here with Bridget Sampson. How are you, Bridget? I'm doing great. Hi, everybody. So we are going to jump right into it today. There is a time of year that we're all experiencing in this oddest of years, be it 2020, the ending of 2020. And it seems like there's a pressing question that would help us all would add value to our lives if we were to wrestle with it, if we were to make it front, central, the center point right now of our lives as we're heading into, this is the middle of December, so we're hitting, heading into Christmas and New Year's and Hanukkah and all kinds of various holidays. We may not be gathering, we may be distancing, you know, we may be shopping online, we may be shopping in stores, perhaps whatever it is you are doing or whatever it is you are or wherever place you're trying to be, we think that the question we have for you today is essential to your success in any of those places. The question we have for you today, am I a human being or am I a human doing? Bridget, what's the answer to that question? Oh, put it on me. Thanks. No. <laughs> well, as we've been discussing, Todd, you and I struggle with this, as everyone does. And so we're going to be honest about that. But we are both. The answer is we are both human beings. And we also, many of us, especially people like you and me, Todd, are a lot of the time spending most of our energy in doing mode. Doing, doing, doing. Working, getting things done, doing projects, right? And sometimes neglecting the beauty and importance of just being, just being a human being. And on the other side of that scale, I know sometimes people struggle with getting things done, right? And are being a lot of the time, but feeling frustrated because they can't find the motivation or the will to do, to be in doing mode and to get the things done that they would like to do. So we're both, and it's one of the struggles of the human condition, the struggle is real, to find the balance of being and doing. Very well said, Bridget. Right, we're each trying to find this balance between being and doing. It seems like it might be useful to define very clearly, crystallize for you what we're talking about when we say being and doing, because they could mean a lot of different things. Simply put, doing or doing mode is the part of you that is striving to get things done. It's the part that plans. It's the part that looks at the gap between what is and what should be. 
and sets a course based on the goal and what's in between the steps, all the things that are necessary to achieve. All right. So achievement, goal setting and everything that goes into the and the doing that goes into getting there. Being, on the other hand, if we're going to separate the two, being encourages you, it asks you, it is a mode of operating where you're open to experience. You're open to the moment where you're centered in that moment on whatever it is that's going on. The wind, the kids, the turn of voice, the food, whatever the thing might be. Can we be in both modes at once? Well, there's a healthy debate that you can certainly enter and explore online for yourselves about being and doing. Our purpose is here today is to raise it to the level of recognition of consciousness and, and focus your mind on it to ask you which one perhaps are you, do you have a healthier relationship with? And I know what the answer is for myself. But which one is a stronger, healthier relationship for you? And which one could use a little bit of attention and improvement? You know, Bridget, for myself, as I'm sure you know, because you know me quite well and you work with me on a constant, you know, a daily basis, I have a strong relationship with doing. I have goals. I strive towards them constantly. I'm turning the screws on my process. In coaching, we coach others constantly right? To set goals and how we're going to get to those goals where we look at the present and we look at the future. And then we come back to the present and we look at the future. One of the misconceptions though of coaching as well is that we don't always focus on the being. And that might be true. I talk about is coaching. It might be true for ourselves in our personal life. I know that's definitely true for me in my own personal and professional life that I could improve and have a stronger, healthier relationship with being. What is your relationship with these two ideas, Bridget? Well, I don't have to say a lot more because I'm in the same boat as you know, Todd. <laughs> I have a very strong relationship with doing. I can do, do, do. I can go, go, go nonstop. And there's always more to be done, right? If you're a, a doer, you'll always be able to find something that appears to need to be done, That's sometimes right. urgently, often urgently, right? But <laughs> I will say that... I work on my relationship, just like a love relationship, just like a romantic relationship that I really want to deepen my intimacy with. I really work on my relationship with being, and I love the moments when I do experience pure being, whether it's in meditation, whether it's mm -hmm. in writing. I can think of lots of examples in my life. I've written and published three books, right? So being in that flow of forgetting all sense of time as I'm writing, not thinking about how I have 10 more chapters to write and how am I ever going to get it done. So I believe that my relationship with being has grown and deepened as mm -hmm. I've gotten older. Mm -hmm. But I definitely spend a lot of time in the doing mode. Yes. You know, I'm curious why you think this challenge exists for some large portion of us, that we have a relationship with doing that is more or less honed and we know it well, we're familiar with it. It's our, it's the gear that we go to, right? I heard, a, I was reading about mindfulness and heard a great metaphor about these being and doing in thinking of them as gears in a car, right? That we go to first gear, second gear, third gear, or forward and reverse. And that often it's difficult to be in 
multiple gears or even two gears at the same time and that we got to shift gears. We need to, sh- we need to shift those gears when it's appropriate, but we don't always know, right? The right appropriate time. We're not always aware of when that time is to shift gears. So I'm curious, right. Bridget, why do you think that we have such a strong relationship, you and I, and we could even say societally, many of the people that we know, mm-hmm. why do we have mm-hmm. such a strong relationship with doing and less so with being? I would like to say that what we're sharing about this is very much situated in our culture, our limited cultural lens, right, from a Western cultural perspective. And this is not necessarily true of all cultures in the world. And But if you think about, let's just say in the United States or pretty much Western culture, I would venture to say, how we raise our kids, right? Mm -hmm. What are you doing in school? You know, go clean your room, hurry up and finish up your food, go put your shoes on. We're going, we're going, we're doing, we're doing right. How often do parents say to their kids, right? Hurry, (laughs) what are you doing right now? You should be doing something, right? I mean, this is how we're raised, right? There's so much value placed on what are you doing? Show me that you're doing something right now. You know, how often did we hear as kids, you don't have to do anything right now. Just be and just <laughs> don't do anything. Never. Right? <laughs> so I th- just think it's part of what we're taught. It's ingrained in us. And I think kids resist it. I think kids are best little Zen yeah. masters yeah. because they resist it. If they're in the middle of playing and we say, no, 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 you've got to stop playing with that. We're going to go here and we've got to go shopping and then we've got to run errands and then you've got your piano lesson and then you... They want to just continue playing with the toys that are right in front of them. I think there's so much to learn. If we could just think about how important really is all that doing and could we learn from them about how beautiful their ability to just be in that moment and enjoy the moment is. Well, you're reminding me of Isabella, my daughter. Yeah, my son does this too. And I, you know, when you're first born, you're always fascinated with the way, you know, a little bit more so because it's so yes. new to you, right? So I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking of Isabella, you know, my first born. And as she was growing, I was always impressed. And I even so much so that I would mention it to my dad, right? I can't believe how Isabella could just jump into fantasy play like so easily. Like you say one thing and she'll just run with it for minutes, if not, you know, an hour plus time in this fantasy because she's so present in the moment. She can just go there. She's not hung up with all the doing thoughts that maybe I would be. Now, I want to take a moment here to to give a little disclaimer or like a challenge that could come up here, which is that like doing is somehow a bad thing, right? Because it's definitely not. There's no judgment about doing no. it. You know, doing mm-hmm. and being are both vital, critical parts of, of our balance. What we're bringing up is how much balance is going on? How much balance is there between the being and the doing? And what are the challenges towards that, right? So you talk about your kids. I talk about, I can remember Isabella. And as you were also saying that I can remember just the other day, I was thinking we have to prepare for the podcast. We have classes Mm -hmm. that we're (laughs) developing and or teaching Mm -hmm. daily, Mm -hmm. if not weekly. There is lots Mm -hmm. of things to be done. And it was Friday night and the kids wanted to play a game. We play games most (laughs) nights. 
Right? We play either Sorry or Life. Those are the two <laughs> games that we play. Right? Oh, I remember those well. Sorry and Life. <laughs> yes. And Life is totally different now. There's pets. There's all kinds of other things. Right. But we've rolled with it. We've adapted. Or at least I have. They didn't know any difference. So, you know, the funny thing is, as I'm sitting there preparing for a podcast about being and doing, I'm struggling with the exact thing that we're talking about. I'm challenged mm-hmm. by the fact that my mm-hmm. kids are so engrossed in this game. And I'm Mm -hmm. somewhere else. And that's really the challenge with being and doing and that balance is that it's not that doing is a bad thing. It's that Mm -hmm. doing in that moment, like my doing mode is showing up for the wrong task. It's showing up for the wrong job at the wrong Mm -hmm. moment. And that's Mm -hmm. the moment it becomes problematic. So very clearly, doing is not problematic. When doing shows up for the wrong job, it becomes problematic. And this moment with my kids was one to be experienced. It's one to be open. I don't need to get the game done. We don't need to get to the end of the game. We don't need to get to Mm -hmm. the end of the game so that we can get to bedtime. We need to, and I would encourage myself, like everybody, we could experience this moment of 30 minutes or an hour together, enjoy J-Mo falling apart, my son who falls apart, you know, when he gets a sorry, when my daughter kicks him off and sends him back to the start Mm -hmm. and sorry, you know, like Mm -hmm. I could, when I'm in doing mode, that frustrates me because it's an obstacle towards getting the game done. When I'm in being mode, I'm like, ah, Jay, what's that all about, man? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It stinks when you get knocked back to the sorry spot. I get it. I get it. And then we move on. Right. (laughs) And the silliest part, Bridget. This is the biggest takeaway for me is that when I'm in doing mode, when I could have a better experience in being right, when doing showed up for the wrong job, I actually prolong the game. It takes longer and is more frustrating and there's no real joy in it and the kids don't enjoy it. So I create a self-fulfilling prophecy in the moment that keeps me from being. It just keeps me and is an obstacle from me being. Bring that around is to say, I needed to be in that moment. And when I recognized that my mind was going somewhere else, that was me being. That was my snap back to, that was the moment where I came back into being and said, Todd, which is to your point, Bridget, at the start, you can be in being and doing and the great debate about whether we can do both. That was me in both modes, reminding myself to be and recognizing I was doing. And that was the gear shift that I needed. That was the change I needed. Can you relate to that, Bridget? You know, I can. I can so relate. And so many moments with my kids, with my husband, with friends, my loved ones, my parents, where you just realize like, I'm not really here and I want to be here. And what's funny is that we, the people we love, I think when they're not in our presence is when we most have gratitude for them. Like for me now, I just love my parents so much and I haven't seen them in so long because of COVID they're being safe. And I just love it. But when I was in their presence all the time, I'd be thinking about work, right? Not always. I mean, I loved being with my parents, but I could easily drift away to think about all the things I had to do rather than just being and like, I'm so happy to just be with my parents. I'm so blessed that they're so wonderful and they're still with me. You know, I've been through with my husband, we've lost both of his parents, you know, and been through that together. So even knowing that, you know, I can slip into 
not appreciating when I get to be with my parents and just be fully present with them and not be thinking about all the things I have to do. And just everything you were saying, Todd, really made me think about one of, I know our greatest teachers, Eckhart Tolle. I just have to throw that out there because he has taught me so much, his book, The Power of Now, about how to really try to do this. And, you know, he says, one of his quotes is, realize deeply that the present moment is all you have. Make the now the primary focus of your life. Because when we are focusing on the past and the future, which we do need to do to some extent, but for me, I'll admit, far less of an extent that I do, right? Mm-hmm. Dwelling than I do, dwelling on the past, worrying about the future, right? When we're, when you're in that game of sorry and you're just totally present with JMO and Isabella, that's what life is all about. That's the joy of life. That's the connection with other human beings. When you're half there, and I, as a mom, was definitely half there for many of those games. We, My kids love Monopoly, and we all know that can just go on forever, right? <laughs> yes. But when I just, to your point, surrendered to it and like, how lucky am I? I'm with my kids. They're healthy. They're great. They're fun. They want to play a game with me. They want to be with me, you know, and just be present for that. Those are the moments of life that we cherish yeah. more than any others. Well, right? what I hear you saying is the thing to get done, if we put it in those words, is to just be in that moment. Yes. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I do want to address the question of, can you be and do I agree with you, Todd, that I think understanding both and trying to find the balance is the first step and then kind of a higher level, which I try to achieve when I can, and I a lot of times can't get there, is doing both. So for example, Todd and I are teaching all of these virtual courses for our our business clients and it's so easy to get caught up in, okay, we've got to get this class done in four hours. So that means this section has this amount of time mm-hmm. and this section, we have to accomplish this and we have to make sure we teach this theory. And I have to give this personal example within three minutes here, right? That is so doing we gotta get it based. Done. And if, we got to get this done. Right, got to get if, this accomplished. Got to get to this if moment. If we run the, oh my gosh, yes. If we run the whole class in that mode, Todd, nobody's going to right. enjoy the class or get anything out of it, right? So we feel ourselves coming in and out of that and then being so present when we ask a question and a participant in the class shares something really deep and personal and that they're struggling with. And then other people in the class offer them support and experience shares. And then we comment and ask another, We, you know, as we're coaching in real time, ask a question that sparks a new insight or a possible option for how to address the situation, right? And we're facilitating this beautiful being moment. We both had that moment, many of our listeners I'm sure had as well in some setting, where you're just so in the being with people and what they're sharing and what's being exchanged. You forget all about doing. You forget where you are. You forget that there are all you these things about that you, time. you need to be doing. Right. This is the right. moments where we talk about time stopping. So researchers look at it as they call it flow. Athletes experience right. flow. Relationships experience flow. Basically time right. just evaporating into the great unknowable, right? That yes. we're, because we're so present, there is no relationship to time. And it's a beautiful, beautiful, you could probably think, I know you can think of an experience where that was the case and how beautiful it was. And I think that that can be, it's not always, but it can be an example of being and doing at the same time. So for example, writing a book and just getting so carried away with the chapter, you're written all night and you weren't aware, right? But you are doing something, you are writing a book. 
but you're just so in the being of it. I know another quick example for me, since we're talking about our kids, is, is giving birth. The first time I got ready to can't give spe- birth. I can't speak to that. No, Bridget. but you've no seen experience. it close up. <laughs> uh, you, you, you've been as close as you can get. I and, have. It was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And leading up to the first time having a child, it was all about doing. I was going to do this method and I was going to do that. And I was going to do it right. And I was going to do it this way. And it was going to be all natural. That's and right. oh, the doing right. was ridiculous. And once I got... The birth plan. Oh, yeah. Mine was like a a novel. (laughs) I can only imagine how long your birth plan was. I know. Oh, boy. It was ridiculous. I mean, I can laugh now because it was 20... It was 24 years ago now that I was pregnant for the first time. So once I started being in the experience of moving into giving birth, none of it went the way, none of it, zero went the way that I had written in this novel of my birth plan. Right. And I couldn't, looking back now, I couldn't just be, I couldn't just be in the moment of it. I still wanted to force doing it the way I had planned and believed it needed to be done. And it was so stressful and it was physically and emotionally just so distressing. And I had a long, long, very hard labor, didn't dilate, you know, all of that that happens. And I really believe that part of that was because I couldn't just be. And part of the way that I can validate that that is true is because I decided the second time around four years later that I was just going to be I really didn't plan. I was like, well, my body did this one time, even though it was really hard and really not as easy, you know, not this natural life event that people make it out to be. It was a fight, you know, the first time and all kinds of problems. The second time I just, I was just going to be, I was just going to, whenever it happened naturally, it was just going to be, and whatever happened would happen. No pain, you know, less than half the time totally smooth experience, had even more people present. My dad was there in the room. It was, you know, and he wasn't the first time because I just knew it was all going to be just fine. And I was just going to be with whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And I would make the choices I needed to make in the moment about pain meds or no pain meds or assistance or no assistance. And I wasn't going to be stuck that I had to do it the right way. And such contrasting experiences. Gosh, I'm sure. Well, relatable. I didn't give birth, but I do have two children and awfully (laughs) relatable to our experience as well. Yeah. And second time around was so much smoother because we Mm -hmm. had some experience with it. And I think that's Mm -hmm. a good segue for us, right? Into thinking about how do we improve our relationship with being and doing? Like Mm -hmm. if that's something, whichever one we would like to or both, if that's something we're after and we think it's important, how can we go about doing that? Because it's clear, Bridget, you and I and everyone listening, we're assuming, can relate to this challenge of balancing these two modes of operation and also recognizing that they can coexist and have many times in our lives coexisted. And we found beauty in those moments and in those memories if we, if we reflect on them. So we understand that it's there as the status quo at the present moment, let's say, as a challenge, as an obstacle towards less stress, towards you know, less depression towards, you know, we could go on down the line of things that are quite prevalent in, say, the West or basically across the globe today, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? So we know what is going on and we understand as well where it's coming from that 
we've been raised and not as a criticism of the culture, but we've been raised in a certain way to value getting things done, to mm -hmm. value achievement, mm -hmm. right? Over experience of just being inside of something or with something, be it mm -hmm. food or people or otherwise, yeah. and to get to the goal. Mm -hmm. What do we do now? Right. If we, because always Bridget and I, we want to offer you some way forward. We don't just want to dwell on something, raise it for you and not offer you a way forward or some tool, some resource, some exercise to engage in so that you might improve your own relationship. Should that be something you desire? So the first thing that comes to mind for you, Bridget, what's the first resource or tip that we can offer as a means of improving these relationships with being and doing? Yeah. Well, they kind of, in my mind, go into two categories. And one is sort of setting aside this sacred time to just be, right? Taking yourself away from the computer out into nature or really dedicating some kind of time and space, whatever works for you to make sure that that's going to be being time. For me, I love the ocean. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to be near the beach, it's just like I'm immediately going to being. Mm -hmm. We do hikes by the beach. We go sit on the beach and it takes a while. Sometimes it takes a few minutes or even a half an hour. But once I'm just really in it, I'm like, just in being if I'm near the ocean because the vastness and all that. So there, that's the one category is how can we put ourselves? But then I have many, many days and weeks and months even sometimes where I'm so busy. There's just so much doing to be done that I have to be creative in finding those moments of being that I can't necessarily make the time it takes an hour almost to get to the beach, right? So I will practice mindfulness in the ways that I've learned to do so by doing everyday activities with full presence and mindfulness, it can be washing your hands, mm -hmm. right? And putting on, taking an extra minute to really slather on some delicious smelling, soothing, hydrating lotion on my hands, a mindfulness moment, eating something, mindful eating instead of how many times do we just shovel the food in because it's in between meetings and we're so busy, right? Did you know that a strawberry, one little strawberry has 200 seeds on average? Wow. Eat a strawberry as slowly as you possibly can and feel the texture of those seeds in your mouth. Feel the bursting flavor of nature's sweetness in a strawberry, right? These are things we can do with in two minutes, in five minutes that allow us to come back to just being that aren't going to take away from anything that we need to be doing really. And even you said this earlier, you know, if it feels like, oh, I don't have time for that. Cut something else out that's less important, please. You know, I'm, I'm the first to admit I probably spend a little more time on Facebook and Instagram than I need to, right? I want to cut out some of that time and be in this being mode that is so healing and joyful and, and just so rejuvenating to get back to the doing because of course we've got to get back to the doing. Those are some of my ways. What do you think, Todd? Yeah. I'd love to hear your ideas. You know, the first, as you said, recognizing what mode we're in. So I try to look, and this is, you know, in teachings from my own mentors and, and readings and whatnot, my own research and experience is I want to know when I'm in what mode. So if I can bring myself into an awareness, one of the indicators is that I'm sitting in judgment. So when I find myself judging my emotions or judging my feelings or categorizing them to judge them, right? Basically, mm -hmm. also the other way of putting it is when I see the gap police come out of the woodwork and start commenting and criticizing all the 
differences between the way things are and the way they should be and all the things that I have to do, right? When I get going in that mode, recognizing that the gap police has shown up is my first Mm -hmm. indicator to check in with myself, right? So that's the starting point. When I recognize that the gap police are there and, you know, barking orders at me, I make a choice to spend and carve out two minutes, whatever I have, some five, sometimes half an hour. But whatever time I can find right there, I know that it is really important to take a few minutes for myself because the doing mode, has sh- the doing gear has shown up for a job that it's ill-suited for. And to your point, Bridget, I remove myself often from whatever it is I'm doing. If I can't, because we can't always remove ourselves, I'll do my best to make it like a minute meditation where I mm-hmm. allow myself to check out for a minute and I go practice mindfulness. I, I actually focus, my strategy is to focus on my feet or to focus on my back. So you could choose either one. But my recommendation to you would be to pick a part of the body. Some people say the hands and There's two parts to it. One is just me connecting with my thoughts. And the second part is me shifting into more of a mode of being rather than doing. So that first part, Mm -hmm. I think about my back. I think about what comes up for me in my back, where my back has been, how I sometimes I hate my back. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes I love my back when I can lift heavy things. And then so I, I just think about my back thoughts about come up about how I want my back to be different. You just heard a couple of them, right? But that's usually what happens is my I start thinking about the pains in my back and all these different things. Oh, and I got to crack it. Oh, it feels like it needs to crack right, right there. But I don't have to control my thoughts in any way. I can just kind of let them unfold naturally, take my time with them and let it just come up. And then second part, I shift into being. Right. And this is where I bring my attention to the present moment of my back. Now I'm moving in my chair just as I talk about it. Right. Like, what does my back feel like right at this moment? What sensations is it bringing to me right now? Is it tingly? Does it hurt? Right. Can I feel the pain and let it rise and fall? Meaning like my thought rise and fall and just see the thought go by. Oh, my back hurts right now. Mm, I'm a little uncomfortable right now. Hmm. My back is on the chair, right? And I start to go through a series of of just being with the feelings in my back. And pretty quickly, within a minute or two, and you, like I said, do it with your feet, do it with your hands, do it with the leaves on the trees, which I often do, just you know, kind of paying attention to how they're blowing and moving in the wind. Whatever it is, this is just a way of reconnecting with myself. This is a way of bringing mm-hmm. myself out of the thought pattern that I was engaged in, the doing, 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 doing thought pattern and bringing myself into a place that's more aligned with being. That's allowing me to experience the moment in all of its pain, in all of its pleasure, in all of its glory. So the pain of the back or the glory and the beauty that is playing a game with my kids, right? Whatever Mm. it is, it allows me to embrace it and as it unfolds rather than be somewhere else as it goes by without me. And so as as we move into the, you know, we're already in the holidays. So I just say we're here in the holiday season and it's all kind of different for everybody. Mm -hmm. Where's your mind Mm -hmm. at? What's your mind doing? Mm. Are you being or doing? Are you sitting in judgment? Are you being with yourself? Are you making time 
to even reflect on where your mind's at. You know, Todd, I love those examples. I really hope that people take a moment that you, our listener, that you take a moment to really think about what allows you to do what Todd just described. Is it looking at the leaves on a tree? Is it petting your dog? Todd and I are both dog people too. I know that grabbing my, I have one, I have two dogs that are just the loves of my life, fur loves of my life. And one of them's little enough to be on my lap. And sometimes I'll be so in doing mode, right? And I don't even realize he's in the room and he just jumps on my lap and cuddles up and I just melt and I immediately am pulled into being. Mm-hmm. I immediately, all whatever was, I was doing on the computer completely fades away. And I just want to cuddle him and pet him and love him and kiss him. What do we have? What tools do we have? I don't mean to call my dog a tool, but what (laughs) do we have access to in our lives, in nature, in our pets and our, you know, our space? You know, I also am big on, like, I have a little stress relief essential oil roller that has all the scents I love most. And I just I just stop and smell it throughout the day and it brings me into being. It's like, ah, a smell that just, it smells like peace and relaxation. It's actually called that too. So (laughs) the words speak to me, the smell speaks to me and it brings me back to being. So please think of what does that for you. And I want to say, since we're doing so much sensory work in this episode, I want to make sure that you know, our listeners, that we record, we put our recordings on YouTube. So you can see Todd (laughs) straightening up and moving around his back as he's describing to you the back exercise. You can see me sniffing my amazing peace and relaxation essential oil, right? As we're doing this, watch us on YouTube, join us in the visual world as well as hearing us if you can. So I just hope that you will find those ways that work for you to bring you back to being. And as you were talking, Todd, I really just wanted to pull out what you were saying, how it spoke to me so deeply about getting out of the mind and realizing that we are not the mind. Mm -hmm. We are not the thoughts in our mind. We are the observer of the thinking mind. We are whatever you want to call it, the spirit, the soul, the observer, the loving self, call it whatever you want. Words don't even do it justice, but you know, another quick plug for one of my favorite teachers on this is Michael Singer. The, this book was a game changer, changed me deeply. The Untethered Soul, The Journey Beyond Yourself. He said, there is nothing more important to true growth than realizing that you are not the voice of the mind. You are the one who hears it. And as Todd was speaking a couple minutes ago, he said almost exactly the same thing, that he allows his mind to go and go and go and all the thoughts about his back, right? And then it starts to kind of quiet when you close your eyes and you get centered, you know, get in touch with and get centered and grounded in your true self, which is the observer that hears that ever chattering voice, right? That can kind of sometimes for glimpses of moments quiet that constant thinking voice and just be in your body and just be present with what your back is feeling, what your feet are feeling, just observing, not judging and being with it. That was so powerful to me, that description, Todd, and it really inspired me to do that more. Well, thanks, Bridget. You know, like, I think what I'm taking away from our discussion is that we, the balance or the relationship of being and doing when used together is incredibly powerful. And we need both of them. Yes. Like one, yes. well said. one without I the agree. other, you know, is, so we need them. Recognizing where we're at with each of them, as we've said, what our relationship is with each of them. And if we're so inclined 
making choices, because this is all about choice, making choices as to how we might improve our own relationship with that. And in turn, perhaps circumstances in our lives, relationships, you know, business or personal with mm-hmm. relationship with ourself or with ourselves, right? That to improve all of these is a choice. And it takes a lot. It's an act of courage, but it's also an act of intentionality. So what I'm taking away is these two modes of being when used together, it's the most powerful place we can operate from. And to recognize that when I'm weighted towards one or the other, I'm missing some part of something, right? I may stagnate some or I may neglect something because I'm too focused over in this direction on people, on work projects, right? On attainment, on status, on success, on what it means to thrive versus what it means to perhaps be. And I will say really clearly thriving and being, I would put together in the same, in the same category. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. Not yes. To, not separating the two, which is all we want That's for right. you right, is to thrive and to thrive in exactly the ways that you want to thrive. So think about it for yourself. Food, exercise, people, pets, work colleagues, projects, the beach, right? There's a lot of places for you to practice exactly what we've discussed here today. Any final thoughts, Bridget? Yeah, Yeah. Thank you for asking. I just want to add to that list, the beautiful list that Todd just shared, you, just you, just being with yourself and loving yourself. We are so critical of ourselves. So please, during this holiday season, as you, many of you may be bustling about to ship gifts to everyone and to make food for whoever it is that you're spending the holidays with, Really take the time to be with you, just you, and love yourself. You are amazing. Just the fact that you were born is like a one in a billion chance, right? Just being here is your purpose, is your gift in the world. You don't have to do, do, do. You are enough. You are more than enough. And please remind yourself of that and and allow yourself to be. You would want that for your most beloved people in your life, right? If you, the person you love most said to you, oh, I've got to keep doing and doing and doing. I'm not doing enough. You would want so much for that person you love to just be able to relax and have some peace and just be. That person could be you. That person who you can give the gift of some time and some space and some self-love and the permission to just be is really you. So I hope that you'll give yourself the space to do that during this holiday season as your gift to yourself. Yeah, That's my final request of you, please. And to remember that you are not a human being. You are a human. <laughs> to remember. That's great, Bridget. I love that. You are not a human being. <laughs> Please remember that you are not a human doing. You are a human being. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're out there, human doing, human being, or somewhere therein, remember, because it goes right along with these distinctions that we've just put out for you. Be good people and make good choices. We'll see you next time. 
Hey, thanks for listening to the Right Questions podcast. We hope this episode sparked something that fuels your own inquiry and transformation. If you like what you heard, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. If you want to learn more about the work we do and how it can benefit you, check out our website, SampsonCoachingAndConsulting.com. And connect with me on Instagram at the Bridget Sampson. And you can find me at Todd Parker Official. We'll catch you next week. Until then, dare to ask the right questions.